Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. If you like the shows, leave us a five-star review and a rating to help other people find us. Tell your friends about the show so they're listening to. We still have all of the series-by-series updates, plus the bleacher banter that you love. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about why firing David Ross isn't the answer for Bleed Cubby Blue. And Danny is out today recovering from a minor surgery. Do not worry. He's fine. And we'll be back soon. We wish him all the best, but I am thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite people to watch a Cubs game with, and we watched the return of Kyle Hendricks to Wrigley Field last night together, lifelong Cubs fan and outsports writer Ken Schultz. Ken, welcome to the show. It is good to be back, Sarah, and yeah, a real pleasure to join you last night, and honestly, our company was probably the highlight of last night's game at this point. <laughs> last night's game was not great, but it was great to see Kyle back uh, at Wrigley Field wearing pinstripes, hearing sweet emotion come over the loudspeaker. He is honestly one of my favorite pictures. I know he's one of yours. We will get into that. We'll get into all of it. Um, However, before we do, let's celebrate a little bit. Like the Cubs won a series. They won an actual baseball series against another baseball team. It is the first time that has happened in May since the very beginning of the month when they won a series against the Miami Marlins over Cinco de Mayo weekend. Maybe the Cubs just need some holiday weekends, some flair uh, in order to get their mojo rising. I don't know. Ken, what did you see from the Cubs from a meta standard uh, during this series? I guess well, when you can finally get juggernauts like the Washington Nationals off your schedule, then yeah, you might have a chance to take a series finally. Uh, what we saw in this series was kind of the way that they draw up Cub wins at this point in 2023 that you had two outstanding starts from Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman just essentially shutting the Mets down and then uh, an offensive explosion in the first game and then just enough of a response, a a really good approach against Kodai Senga in game two uh, combined with Stroman doing a full-on ace turn and heel turn for the Mets, which was kind of fun, which we'll get into later. And then we were hoping that it would carry over into a magical Kyle Hendricks debut in game three. And um, not so much, but also not the most surprising given what we saw from Hendricks over the past year and a half. I I went into that one kind of just hoping, okay, just have something there. Show me that there is reason to believe that you can be good at some point this season. And I think we did see that, even though the pitching line at the end of the day was nowhere close to impressive. But uh, he got a standing ovation on his way out onto the field. He got a standing ovation when they took him out and deserved both as far as I'm concerned. He absolutely did. And and it was an emotional uh, response from Cubs fans because Kyle Hendricks is like the last man standing from the 2016 Cubs. And he, we love him. And I adore him in ways that are different than the ways that I feel about some of these other guys. I mean, I was telling you last night as we were watching parts of these games, the not the all not Wilson battery was not my favorite thing. Like watching Tucker Barnhart throw 37 mile per hour. I think they were calling them sliders. And I I don't even think it's possible to throw a slider 37 miles per hour. That's like some little league playing around in the backyard stuff uh, to Jan Gomes. And I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to get excited about this for what? Um, So it was nice to see Hendo back out on the mound. It, he, I think he did okay. We'll get into it. Let's go in order. Um, let's start with the first game. Drew Smiley was great again. Five innings pitched, four hits, two runs. Both of them were earned. He walked two. He struck out five. Really, the only damage was a home run to Pete Alonzo uh, that, that Smiley it was responsible for. But when the Cubs put up seven, you'll take that. Like, that's totally fine. Say Suzuki hit a home run. Matt Mervis hit his first home run at Wrigley Field. Christopher Morrell hit another home run because that's just what Christopher Morrell does these days. It was a great game. 
And the thing with Smiley that I have noticed this year is that the Cubs really seem intent on pulling him after about 80, 85 pitches. And I think they're doing that in an effort to keep him healthy. If that works, that's huge for the Chicago Cubs team. Drew Smiley just has not thrown that many innings uh, in the past few seasons. I think he maxed out at like 126 innings out of the last four years. I'm not looking that up right now. So it's like 123 or 119 or something. And I messed that up. I apologize. But the bottom line is you're not planning on getting 170, 180 innings from Drew Smiley this season. So you might as well try to keep him healthy to give you as many of those innings in a row as possible. Yeah, Drew Smiley missed, what, about a month of last year with various injuries, right? So that certainly makes sense that they would be as proactive as they could because he is one of the most important pieces of this entire team this year, given that how much emphasis they're putting on the rotation kind of being the real strength of this group, along with the infield defense and outfield defense, actually, now that, now that I think of it. But um, I wonder, too, if part of that might also be, and this is just kind of speculating off the top of my head that given that the way that they've handled smiley is a very kind of 2023 approach to pitching which is essentially telling him hey you know that one pitch you got that nobody can hit why don't you just throw that over and over again (laughs) and i wonder if part and parcel with that approach is the idea that you get two times to the order with that we we see the results like dominant and i if he's almost kind of nothing but curveballs and then the occasional show me fastball just to get batters off the curveball, I wonder if that pixie dust kind of turns into a pumpkin to mix fairy tale metaphors. If you go third the third time through the order, I wonder if they're being like extra cautious with that. No, that's a really good point. I I don't know what happens with that when batters start to just sit on. That one pitch, I do think that we're supposed to trust in whatever magic Jan Gomes brings to the table to like control the running game and just understand pitchers, pitcher whisperer Jan Gomes. Uh, I've been making all the jokes in the land about Jan Gomes and catcher ERA. Uh, plus, like the dude's framing isn't very good this year either. It's just one of these situations where all everything we have been told about Gomes is these intangibles. It's some real Yachty Molina legend making stuff over here on the north side of Chicago. And I I don't, I don't know about you, Ken, I tend to deal in facts. So perhaps Jan Gomes, the pitcher whisperer, will figure out exactly what to do with Smiley in the event that some team has a great approach against him to, to be honest. And let me go down and preview uh, our starting pitchers. No, Smiley's going to go against the Reds. So he does not have to face the Rays this weekend. Cause if there was a team that was going to have like an exceptional approach against Drew Smiley, I would anticipate it being the Rays, but it doesn't look like Smiley has to go against them. Yeah. If Jan Gomes does have uh catcher devil magic working for him, why can't that catcher devil magic get the ball to third base instead of going into left field as it did last night? Listen, you're just supposed to appreciate what Jan Gomes brings to the team and, and the energy that he brings every day as not being Wilson Contreras. Um, sorry, I, I'm on a, I'm a little bit of a tear this morning, apparently. Let's talk about the second game, which was also great. I actually loved multiple things about this game. One, the Stroh Show was on, and it was amazing. It was fire. I looked up at one point in the bottom of the sixth inning. I had to do a double take because he was at 58 pitches through six innings and I just was I I couldn't even understand how that had happened then he was at 69 pitches through seven he was making double plays he was getting ground ball outs he had 17 ground ball outs 
in this game. He was, you know, toying with the Mets a little bit, former team type of energy. And based on what I just said about Wilson Contreras, you can probably guess that I love all of that energy from Marcus Stroman and and no Mets fans and your sadness in the New York Post. I, I did not feel any sympathies for you at all. Like you didn't resign the dude. He showed up and shoved against you. You just have to take it. That's the way sports works. That's the way life works. And Stroman was having fun. Um, and I was having fun watching him. The sinker sank. After the game, he had this interview. And I have no idea who asked this question. So I apologize to whatever Cubs beat writer got kind of shut down by Marcus Stroman here, but they asked a question about the weather and how that impacted his performance. And Stroman was like, it's not the weather. The sinker is elite. I got 17 ground ball outs. The weather has nothing to do with it. Didn't you ask about the weather last time? And I laughed so hard. I was just like, this is one of the most fire, honest comments that I've seen in a post game in a hot minute. And also like not to be that girl, this team doesn't have a lot of swag this year. They're kind of a little boring, no mm-hmm. offense. Uh, so seeing some swag from Marcus Stroman on a night where his sinker was sinking was great. Yeah, um, by design, they don't have swag. It, it feels like that there's just, you know, kind of a lineup full of creative players who can be fun to watch, but yeah, don't really kind of leave much in the personality department for the most part. Um, and in terms of Stroman's post-game interview, like that to me, it felt like, his height doesn't measure heart mantra kind of coming to the surface when that reporter asked about the weather, because that's, you know, how how much has, how much, how how much of his career has he spent listening to various bits of noise like that, that you just, you don't measure up to what a pitcher should look like people doubting him because of like external factors like that. And now that he's pitched one of the best games of this entire season, not just for him, but for the entire team, the, one of the first things a reporter asked him about is the weather. And yeah, I completely understand why he would take offense to that. Like that wasn't the weather. That was me. Of, of course. Own it. Absolutely. And in terms of the Mets media and fan reaction to Stroman's histrionics, that may, might be a bit of an exaggeration uh, for what was essentially just him having fun out there for the most part. I, as we kind of talked about it at the ballpark last night, as that was kind of happening in, in real time, we were seeing Mets fans get pissed off online about it. I kind of thought, okay, let's look at what the source for this was. And I kind of did a little bit of Googling, Googling around, if I could get out of my mouth, that would help. And saw that Stroman got upset with the Mets mostly because when he was a free agent, he kind of went to team management and said, hey, I would like to resign with you. How can we make this happen? And team management said, ah, we're good. And that kind of left a mark with him. And so ever since then, he plays the, when he plays the Mets, he has extra motivation and he shows that team and those fans that he is the, a, a better player, that he, he's a player that they should have wanted. He's very demonstrative about it. And I was thinking, okay, who else does that description apply to in Major League Baseball and maybe who would have been affiliated with the Cubs as recently as last year? Hmm, let's think about that. So just kind of as an address to Cub fans in general, if you're sticking up for Stroman, which you should be in this instance for celebrating his triumphs over the Mets, maybe you should also kind of understand when Wilson Contreras drives in all three runs of the first game of that series and then turns to the fans and says, let me hear it. Maybe you understand where that's coming from too. 
I mean, I have a full on Wilson Contreras like shelf back here that's got like an autographed Wilson picture, the Wilson Contreras bobblehead with his Venezuelan arm sleeve. Like, I mean, you will get no argument from me on any of that at all. Uh, Marcus Stroman, just for the record here, eight innings pitched on 88 pitches. He had four, gave up four hits, two runs. They were both earned. It was a two run shot by uh, Francisco Alvarez, the new Mets catcher, who incidentally, that ball was hammered into left against the wind like and i cannot tell you how hard the wind was blowing that night it was a really impressive piece of hitting sometimes you just gotta tip your cap i honestly think if that hadn't happened marcus stroman is like on track for a complete game shutout under 100 pitches he would have thrown him at it's like it was just one of those nights for stroman it was impressive it was fun I like having Marcus Stroman on the Cubs. I am here for all of that swagger. And frankly, if anyone had hysteronics, it was the Mets fans who just need, I, I'm sorry. Like every time, and I love some individual Mets fans. Like there are friends of mine who cheer for the Mets and I am sympathetic to them. And I do understand the whole, like, they feel kind of like the little brother and they like get, you know, a little bit like we never win and it always goes wrong. And Metsing is a verb that everybody understands. And I get it. Like as a Cubs fan, I totally get it. And I am sympathetic. And also, they have this tendency to just hit like nine or 10 on the whiny scale sometimes in ways as a collective that I just can never fully go over the hump and cheer for the Mets. Like I get close, I get sympathetic, I understand. And then the second that I'm about to be like, yeah, I could cheer for this team. They do something like go off on Marcus Stroman and there's 10 op-eds about Marcus Stroman needing to tone it down and play the game the right way. And I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> Can't with you right now. You people are ridiculous. Yeah, kind, kind of big same that uh, there are individual Mets fans whose company that I really enjoy. We watched last night's game with one of them, my friend Adam from New York. Yeah, he was great. Adam was fun. Yeah. Um, in terms of like as a fan base, it feels like the Mets like use volume like as, as a group to try to convince everyone that their plight is just as bad as the Cubs or the Red Sox at their very worst, or even the White Sox too when they had their – uh, 90 year, 90 or so year drought. And yeah, the Mets drought is getting to be bad at this point, but there are still like a generation of fans who can definitely remember 1986. Like they're still alive. They're still doing well. Three generations of fans. In fact, like the yeah. silent generation, the boomers, <laughs> any Gen Xers remember that millennials might have a beat on that one. I four generations, four generations of fans saw that happen. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be fair, a lot of those generations are obnoxious in and of themselves. So maybe that feeds into Mets fans' obnoxiousness. But yeah, I always, you know, I grew up a Cub fan in the 80s. And uh, that was kind of the heights, one of the heights of like a legit Cub-Met rivalry. Like I still have in my scorecard collection, a scorecard from 1984, where the Cubs beat the Mets on a Jody Davis home run. And my five-year-old self celebrated by writing on my scorecard, sorry, Mets, you lost. So... <laughs> Like I had that that bit of smack talk ingrained in me as as a five year old, which must have been delightful to everyone around me. But nonetheless, you know, so when you see the Cubs beating the Mets all the time, I just think back to like that that famous audio clip uh, from, I guess, maybe late 90s, early 2000s of the Pat and Ron show where during a lull in one Cubs Mets game, Pat was taking an email from a random fan who uh, was asking them, I just met this new girl. She's really fabulous except she's also from New York and she's a Mets fan. Uh, but so how do I go about making this work? And Pat turns to Ron and goes, so Ronnie, do you have any suggestions for this Romeo? And Ron just goes, dump her, dump <laughs> her. <laughs> I mean, 
that 1960-19 has feelings about the Mets. Uh, Sarah Wine, who's a great follow on Twitter, if you do not follow her, um, had pulled a clip of Billy Williams from Fergie Jenkins' statue unveiling last year, and she and she clipped it perfectly so that it just says, it's Billy Williams, and he's just saying, it's too bad, you know, the Mets. <laughs> and he's talking about the whole, like, 69 situation and how they got overtaken by the Mets and what happened and everything. But the clip itself of just, it's too bad, you know the Mets it, it you can play that on loop and it's incredible and it's Billy and it's amazing that whole team um and it's it's funny you know I think about this sometimes with baseball and realignment and stuff maybe we'll do a show in the offseason about like the dangers of realignment and things that you should not do but you're right there used to be a kind of legit NL East Mets Cubs rivalry and the realignment to the central really destroyed that I am very against any realignment that would pull the Cubs and Cardinals out of the same division because the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry is special, and it should always exist. Uh, same with Yankees-Red Sox. Same with Dodgers-Giants. I am sorry for all the fans out there who think they're rivals of the Cubs from, like, Milwaukee or Cincinnati or whatever, who are like, yeah, we're your rivals. It's like, you're not. I'm really sorry. And also, like, the fact that you're like, well, now the Cardinals are our rivals or whatever. Like, that's why you're not our rivals. Like, that's not how rivalries really work. And, you know, I, I got into this recently on Twitter and a bunch of people were like, well, what do you mean? Do you have to be one of the oldest teams in the league to have a true rivalry? And I'm like, kind of, yes. Like, kind of, you have to have a history with a team that stretches back decades where everybody remembers stuff. And there is a generation or two of Cubs and Mets fans who truly truly understand and despise each other at a deep level. Um, and I, I am not one of the people who despises the Mets, but I do remember the Mets being more than just like, I don't know, they're, I cared more about the Mets than the Pirates, let's put it that way. And I still do to some extent. And so it's nice to see the Cubs win two or three against a Mets team that is supposed to be a juggernaut. Uh, the game they did not win was the game that we were most looking forward to. And that's okay. I, I think Kyle Hendricks did just fine for his return to pitching for the first time since last July. So he threw four and a third innings, gave up six hits. Four of those balls uh, that he batted ball events that were given up during the course of the game were hit hard by sat cast measures. So what that means is basically that they were hit over 95 miles per hour. Um, a couple of those were outs, like a sacrifice fly, those types of things. The hardest hit ball Hendricks gave up all night was a sacrifice fly. Uh, there, he gave up five runs. Only three of them were earned. Thanks for that uh, Cubs defense, the vaunted Cubs defense. Uh, walked two guys, which was pretty uncharacteristic, although those walks were early. It wasn't like some like a problem he was having late in the game. It sort of seemed like he got it back together. He did strike out five, which is not really Hendricks's game. So it was interesting to see him missing some bats. What did you see from the return of Kyle Hendricks? Well, first of all, what I saw and kind of what I experienced with the return of Kyle Hendricks was a day where we were kind of for one day blissfully free of this it's complicated cloud that's kind of loomed over this entire season for both yourself and myself i think that's it's we're able to do it i think in the end but it is for me anyway a very difficult mental process of kind of getting over the fact that jed hoyer is still in charge of my favorite team in order to kind of i guess suspend my disbelief and get completely invested in rooting for this group like when we go to the ballpark it's it's fine eventually i get there and it's easy to lose yourself in the emotions of wrigley field but uh when i have like any kind of separation like watching on tv there's always still that kind of looming sense of if they do too well that means jed gets a contract extension and i, I just, <laughs> can't, just can't with that thought right now 
And I was having a conversation in a group chat with our friends, Kevin and Adam from the Away Games podcasts. And all three of us agreed, like that was the most excited and nervous, importantly enough, that we felt heading into a game this enti entire year. And Kevin comped it to, it feels almost like a playoff level emotion for us because we're all so invested in seeing Kyle Hendricks do well. So that in and of itself, like that feeling kind of coming back and reminding us that yes, okay, that desire to be there for this team is still there. And that feeling is not dead. It's just dormant is in the, at the end of the day, already a good thing, I think. So that, that was great. Um, also, I think nothing sums up the 2023 Cubs better than the idea that that was the best I've ever felt going into a game this season. And it ended in a game with Tucker Barnhart pitching. So yeah, go Cubs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, in terms of how Hendricks did, um, my biggest fear was that he would get lit up in the first inning and it would just be like a slog for the entire game. And it was teetering a little bit that way. He did not have his command in the first, was missing down with his fastball a lot. And when that happens, he can't set up his changeup. So it was like, oh, God, when he walked the bases loaded, just get out of this as unscathed as you can. So when it was just a sacrifice fly and he managed to get out of the inning after that, it was like a big relief. And it looked like briefly he settled in in the second inning by getting two strikeouts and retiring the side in order. And even getting those first two quickly in the third, it was like, okay, maybe we're here for something. We might be seeing something here. And that's when all the soft contact singles started happening, which is going to happen with him, as I think Sahada pointed out in the Athletic this morning that because he does pitch to contact a lot, sometimes that's going to be the case. And not a one of those felt like, you know, oh my God, what are they doing to him out there? So, you know, as far as a first outing goes, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, it wasn't the triumphant, like Kyle Hendricks comes out and throws a Maddox for his return type of, you know, high end or like low end probability uh, option that we were probably all dreaming of. And also it was fine. Like I, I agree with you. It felt like the early innings were like three different versions of what Kyle Hendricks was going through. The first inning seemed like he didn't really have his command and he was working through some stuff. Second inning seemed like vintage Kyle. And I was like, yes, let's do this. And the third inning was he got batted to death. That wasn't the hard contact. That wasn't where he was giving up those hard fly, ball, fly balls or whatever. Those were sacrifice flies and the like, like and he will get babbed uh, here and there. Like if you don't have guys positioned exactly in the right spot, you can't shift the same way you used to be able to, to like start guys further, deeper in the outfield, those types of things. Like it will happen. It did happen. That's why the Cubs have exceptional defense. Uh, mm -hmm. Smiley and Stroman are also just as likely to get babbed like that. Um, it just happened that it happened to Kyle. So I was happy for him. I also felt like I, this was the game I was going to take off, by the way, because it was supposed to be tie-on night, and it was really yeah. cold. And I was going to take the night off, do some writing, um, catch up on some work so that I could go do baseball all through the holiday weekend. And then David Ross just kind of like announced that Kyle Hendricks was getting his start on Thursday, and you immediately mm -hmm. DM'd me and were like, we're going. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I was like, there goes my night off. That's yeah. fine. Uh, that's okay. I'll go. I'll go to like the first six games of this homestand, and then maybe take a night off when the Rays come to town because I don't need to see that. Nobody needs to see that. But we'll talk more about that on the flip side. One note before a quick word for our sponsors. Um, Nick Madrigal was the player option to make room for Kyle. I thought that was interesting. I thought it might be Edwin Rios who just hasn't gotten anywhere near the playing time that Madrigal has gotten. What did you think of Madrigal being optioned to Iowa? 
I mean, yeah, it it also kind of surprised me that he was the one they chose in terms of on-field production, though. can totally see it. Like Nick, Nick Madrigal has had a WRC plus of what? I don't know. Has it been in double digits this month? Like we saw his greatest moment as a Cub against the Marlins a few weeks ago. And beyond that, I'm having trouble thinking of like any hits he's recorded. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if, this is the first of maybe a few instances of Jed having to kind of throw up his hands and admit, okay, that trade didn't work out exactly the way I intended. Cause uh, there are a few other guys that, that we got at that trade deadline who are also producing, shall we say questionable results, uh, Kevin Alcantara. Um, but <laughs> yeah, dude, I still can't believe deep dive into that at this point. Cause I'll get really bitter really fast. I still cannot believe that they traded Anthony Rizzo. Like, I'll never get over it. Um, looks like Nick Madrigal this season. I don't have the monthly splits, but it looks like this season so far, he's had 98 plate appearances. He has slashed 247, 286, 301 for a WRC plus of 62. That has certainly been trending on the downside, not the upside. I mean, they've been running him out at third base every day. Surprisingly without incident, although you like watch him play third base and you're like, that is not how a third baseman is supposed to set up that throw or that play or any, like he gets it done, but -hmm. it's not particularly pretty. And it seems like whatever plan they had to get him to establish some sort of value for himself by playing every day, isn't working very well. And now he's going to Iowa. It seems like they really, really want to believe that he can be a poor man's Luis Arise or Jeff McNeil, and it's just not there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, that's a perfect w- uh, place for us to segue to a break for our sponsors. On the flip side, we are going to preview both the Red Series and the Ray Series so that Ken and I can take some time off this weekend and not have to worry about bugging you by recording on, sa- on Sunday. But first, a quick break. All right. We are back. Uh, probable pitchers for the Red Series are up and online at MLB.com. Just so you know, uh, when we get to the probable ser- uh, pitchers for the Rays Series, I am pulling those from RotoWire's probable pitchers grid. They do a great job over there for fantasy baseball purposes of predicting who is probably going to start those games. So if one of these winds up not being exactly precisely right, my apologies in advance, but this is the best information that we have. At the time, it is Friday morning, uh, just heading into the holiday weekend. So it looks like tonight, or today's matchup, I should say, this game is at 120 at Wrigley Field. Day baseball is God intended all weekend long. Uh, Hunter Green against Justin Steele. And then we have Brandon Williamson versus Jamison Tyon and Graham Ashcraft against Drew Smiley. When the Rays come to town, it will be Shane McClanahan versus Marcus Stroman. Be sure you're ready for that Monday matchup. Sounds like a fun one to me. Uh, Zach Eflin against Kyle Hendricks. And Josh Fleming against Justin Steele. Uh, let's start with these uh, Reds matchups. What do you see between these Reds and Cubs pitchers, Ken? Um, well, with the Reds pitchers, I'm kind of seeing kind of one of the stories of the Reds right now. That uh, a couple of guys in uh, Green and I think it's it's Ashcraft as well that they have invested a lot of hope in uh, for a prospective return to con- contention. At some point, in, in Green's case, they've actually invested a contract in him, which is uh, doubly interesting. And yet, ERAs of 468 for Green and 557 for Ashcraft. So the it's kind of the Reds' conundrum right now that they, as far as I know, have not been able to develop pitching since, what, the days of Jose Rio? So Green, obviously, the stuff is impressive looking to, when you look at just like the radar gun reading like a starting pitcher who can routinely get it close to and then maybe occasionally break triple digits like absolutely everybody would want that 
And yet it's still just kind of pedestrian. It's, it's, the whip is 1.50, uh, a ton of walks, more, more 55 hits in 50 innings, which is much more than you'd think for someone who has that kind of fastball. And it's it's kind of the classic Reds problem, and it's why they've had they've essentially wasted Joey Votto's career, uh, unfortunately. You know, it's interesting what you're saying about Hunter Green. It reminds me a little bit of when Nathan Avaldi came up with the mm. Yankees, and he was throwing like 99, 100, and just getting hammered, like just getting hit real hard. And it was like the balls were too flat. He didn't have good sequencing. Um, he finally figured it out. He figured it out with the Red Sox. He's having an excellent year with the Rangers yeah. right now. But that time with the Yankees, I just remember my brother and dad complaining constantly, like, this guy throws 98. Can't get anybody out. I don't know what's going on. And and Green seems like that same type of situation where he's throwing 100 miles per hour, but it's a hittable 100 miles per hour. And so if you can catch up to the pitch, you can really do some damage on it. He's kind of like the anti-Justin Steele. Like, <laughs> this matchup's going to be kind of sort of funny because it's like, Justin Steele's getting it done with 92 and it doesn't matter. Like he's just getting it done. And and meanwhile, Hunter Green is like hammering you with fastballs and people are hammering the fastballs back at him. Um, Brandon Williamson, I think, is a perfect example of what you were talking about with Red's pitching development. He was part of one of their many trades with the Mariners. I actually, I think this was the Winker Suarez trade, but I could be wrong. Like the Mariners, there's like been a pipeline of Reds players to Seattle. Uh, Luis Castillo, the Winker Suarez deal. Like there's just, it seems like a never ending like shuttle back and forth. So if I've, I've got the wrong deal, I apologize. But um, Williamson really, if you go look at his minor league numbers with Seattle, they look super impressive and like he is going to come up and be an ace. And as soon as he gets to Cincinnati, that falls off. And I just think the Cubs should be able to handle him. The thing that I am most worried about with this game, and, and if you're going to it tomorrow on Saturday, um, it could be a wild one if the wind is blowing out and it is warm. Jamison Tyon has been not very good. I started doing a deep dive on Tyon to see if I could figure out what was going on. And while I was doing that, Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper over at Rates and Barrels at The Athletic had a whole segment on Tyon. And one of the things that Eno talked about is that a pitch that is getting hit particularly hard for Tyon is his sweeper is getting absolutely murdered by lefties and he shouldn't be throwing the sweeper to lefties. So hopefully somebody from the Cubs listened to that and heard that. But when I went to Baseball Savant, I, I was ready to write that like, oh, yeah, it's throwing the sweeper to lefties. And I went to Baseball Savant to look at the slug expected slugging and slugging off of his other pitches. And it is over 500, 600 for everything. Like every pitch Jamison Tyon is throwing right now is getting hammered by the other team. And I don't know if he is still hurt. I don't know if something is going on with his tunneling or his sequencing. Maybe Jan Gomes can get on that. But it's not pretty every time Jamison Tyon pitches. And frankly, I hope they can get Hayden Wisniewski right in AAA because Tyon looks like he needs a stint on the IL. Yeah, it feels like Jameson Tyon has like experimented with every different flavor of bad you could as a pitcher so far. That there have been games where he's been unlucky. There have been games where the defense has failed him, and then there are games like this past Saturday in Philadelphia where he just goes out and has nothing, and it's it's sad. Like uh, Jameson Tyon, like one of the things that I really liked about the signing, especially when we saw him at Cubs convention is that this is someone who is as eager a pupil of pitching as I've ever seen over the past, I don't know, five years that the Cubs have brought in. Someone who's a big baseball nerd, and I totally, you know, identify with that. So I, I want to see guys who have that level of intellectual curiosity about their craft do well. And your thoughts about the sweeper make me think that, gosh, I wonder, he's obviously someone who is 
interested in what you have to suggest as to how he can get better. And I kind of wonder if, is this a case where the Cubs might have haywarded him a little bit where they brought in somebody who's willing to listen, willing to learn and thought, okay, this is what we have the plan to take you to the next level. And now with the sweepers getting crushed and the sweeper was clearly the Cubs pitch du jour of this off season. If it's getting particularly crushed with him, it's like, yeah, you might've messed something up there. And I think uh, it kind of reminds me, I think it was one of the athletic pieces this week talking about him, that Hadabi had a comment that when Tyone was going at his best in past years, he was very much a north-south pitcher that set him up with a fastball, wipe him out with a curve. And the sweeper is antithetical to that. That's that's very east-west. And he's getting crushed, as you say, with east-west. So it might also be that in addition to maybe as well, could still have effects, linger effects from his time on the IL that... Uh, he needs to kind of reset his mind into what worked for him in past years and maybe even junk the sweeper for a while until you kind of get that basic back. Yeah, or at least stop throwing it to lefties, man. Like, yeah. it's not a good pitch for lefties. Like, you want it to get righties out, not the mm-hmm. other way around. Anyway, um, Graham Ashcraft against Drew Smiley. Ashcraft is 2-3 and three with a 557 ERA. Drew Smiley is 5-1 and one with a 293 ERA. Uh, it seems like this is one of those games that should go Drew Smiley's way, so I'm sure baseball will baseball and some weirdness will happen. Right. Yeah, Drew Smiley, for as great as he's been this year, is probably not Justin Verlander. So at some point we're going to get a clunker here or there, but if he can kind of put that off for as long as possible till some of the other parts of the rotation kind of get up to speed, that would be great. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. And then on Monday, the Rays will come to town. I am, you know, I'm curious what's going to happen with this series. The Cubs have really shown up against their toughest competition this year. It's almost like they play up uh, and then they let take their foot off the gas and let themselves get steamrolled by the Nationals and the Marlins. But uh, I, this race team is otherworldly in terms of what they are doing right now. The pitching is exceptional. The hitting is ridiculous. When we get to all of the Rays hot hitters later in the show, like I, it just kind of blew me away as I was typing them all up. Shane McClanahan versus Marcus Stroman on Memorial Day at Wrigley Field is just must-see TV, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Rays are kind of the polar opposite of what I just described with Reds pitching, where the Rays just bring in guys, and at the end of the season, you go, how do you keep doing this? Zach Eflin, who was, you know, just a guy who came out of the Philly bullpen last year that they were just kind of hoping would be hot during the playoffs. He goes there and and lights it up. And, you know, McClanahan is one of the best pitchers in the entire league. Um, I guess the one thing you can say about it is at least we're not playing them at Tropicana Field. So they might have a better chance in one or two of these games, especially if Stroman can shove on Monday the way he did his last last go around. But, yeah, this is if you shut down this raised lineup. You are really doing something that's there. There's just so much good on Tampa Bay. And it's so unfortunate because I really don't like them as an organization. I, I don't like their philosophy of let's just get a bunch of random anonymous guys, teach them some bizarre raise equivalent of devil magic to perform at their peak powers for a couple of years. And then either they get injured or expensive and then we ship them out. And that's what, every owner in baseball wants now. And that's why we have people like Jed Hoyer and Haim Bloom running big market teams like they're the Rays. So yeah, I, I, I don't want them to be good, but you have to admit it's like after the first two months of the season. Yeah. Good. There's a lot there. Let me just say, 
Jed Hoyer and High and Bloom think they are running big market teams like the Rays. The problem with the Rays isn't the Rays raising. Like, they're very good at it, and they exceed expectations every year with a collection of players. You're like, really? That guy? I mean, Isak Paredes is, is just, like, killing it right now. And I'm like, Isak Paredes was in the Cubs system, and we're all like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Like, I... It's the problem isn't the Rays raising. The problem is these other dudes thinking that they should act like the Rays when they're running big market teams. And and frankly, like poorly, like Jed Hoyer is not doing the job that the Rays are doing well. Right. He's just trying to mimic them. And and like, I think he had a quote this offseason where he said, well, the Rays do it. And I almost lost my I almost lost my mind. I'm like, the Rays have more high priced talent than you do right now. They just signed. Wander Franco to an extension. They just signed the largest deal in franchise history with Eflin. Like the Rays are doing the thing you're not doing. You don't extend anybody and you don't pay money for talent. And the Rays are doing that. So stop acting like you are good at this jet. Anyway, that's a rant for another day. Um, Shane, I do want to see on that, that Monday game just uh, to kind of get us back onto that topic. Uh, we're going to see Marcus Stroman pitching against Rad Randy Arozarena. And that is going to be a swag singularity that is just going to swallow up the entire baseball universe when that happens. And I'm extremely here for it. Yeah, the Rays have a uh, home run luchador masks, which are incredible. Uh, the Cubs have some hat that Nico found at a secondhand store. So <laughs> I like no offense. Nico's great. And I like Nico's hat. And also like the Rays swag is off the charts relative to the Cubs. Take some lessons on swag from the Rays, too, because Randy Rosarena is fun. Wander Franco is fun. Marcus Stroman is fun. Shane McClanahan is 8-0 with a 1.97 ERA coming into that game. So we'll see how that goes for the Cubs. Uh, speaking of guys who are exceeding expectations this year, Zach Eflin, everybody was a little mystified by that deal. I was too, but I also trust the race to identify pitching talent, and he has not let anyone down. He's 7-1 with a 3.17 ERA coming into Tuesday night's game uh, against the Cubs, where he will face off against... Um, That's Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks. And yeah, that should be a fun one. Yeah, I, I'm actually that uh, looked at the race series and talked to my dad and said, pick a game. And he picked Tuesday a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to Kyle Hendricks second starts with the Cubs. And uh, oh, boy. Yeah, uh, please have it from the start at that one, because I don't think you can mess around with the Rays lineup the way you did with the Mets in the first inning and get away with it. But you oh. have one start in where he's kind of feeling a little bit more himself. You could also see that. Yeah, maybe this is the game where Hendricks spots that low fastball early on and gets a bunch of weak ground balls to Nico and Dansby, and it becomes a two-to-one pitcher's duel, and I would very much enjoy that if that were the case. As would I. The final game of that series will be Josh Fleming, um, who's worked mostly out of the bullpen for Tampa Bay this year, but uh, does have some starts under his belt. Perfectly fine pitcher. One of those dudes exceeding expectations for the Rays, like you do. Um, and uh, Justin Steele, who has been lights out for the Chicago Cubs. I have no complaints about Justin Steele. I just want him to keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. I I'm very curious to see because Steele is another guy kind of like what we talked about with Smiley earlier, where the approach with him is, Hey, that great slider you got, just keep doing that until they show you they can hit it. And the, <laughs> the Rays lineup, I would imagine would be very much a test of that when you have that much power and that many threats from one through nine in the order. So I think that's going to be a very fun one to watch to see what happens. Yeah, he's got two pitches, like fastball slider, hit, hit them. And I and people hit them weekly, and then he gets outs. And I am I just watch it and laugh and wonder how long it can last. And I hope I hope it keeps keeps lasting. I think yeah. it's great. Uh let's talk about the Cubs hot and cold bats as a reminder for this segment. It's the last two weeks. You have to be qualified with 20 plate appearances or more. The cutoff for a hot bat is a WRC plus during that time period of at least 110, meaning that you had 
you were 10% better than league average. The cutoff for a cold bat is 85 or lower, meaning that you were 15% worse than league average. Uh, Seiya Suzuki on fire right now. It's his first time leading this list since he's mm. come back from the injured list. So welcome back, Seiya Suzuki. He is a WRC plus of 227 in the last two weeks. He has just been breaking, man. Like, you can't ask more from Seiya Suzuki. I can ask that the other Cubs please stand up. <laughs> yeah, it's, I wonder with Seiya Suzuki, if everybody's kind of talked about him as if he's always kind of on the cusp of like a superstar breakout that they talk about you know, his hard hit percentage and they go, go kind of a deep dive into some of the sabermetric advanced hitting stats and try to use, use that to prove their point that this is going to be somebody who's going to be really exceptional. And I kind of wonder if the Seiya Suzuki pattern that we've seen is just kind of what he is and what he's going to be as a major league baseball player that we're going to have like three to four week stretches, like at the beginning of the season where he just is not there and leaves a whole lot of guys on base and there's just not a whole lot of really good contact in there and then when he locks it in we're going to see like white hot for about three or four weeks in uh, in front of that as well and we're in the middle of, of white hot right now and it, it's great honestly and you know that's the kind of player that, that we kind of described what Javi Baez was when he was here with the Cubs and I would absolutely take that if that were the case uh, I just I can't White joined so much of Cubs Twitter in the Seiya Suzuki is definitely a budding future superstar bandwagon until he shows me that we're going to get more than three or four weeks of this at a time. Yeah, we'll find out. I mean, in the last two weeks, he's had 51 plate appearances. He's hit five home runs during that time. He has walked 15.7% of the time, striking at 27.5% of the time, which is a little high for Seiya, but you'll take it when he's making contact the way he is. He's slashing 357. 451, 810. That is his slugging, not his OPS. Uh, Christopher Morrell has a WRC plus of 210 during that time period. That's actually a little bit off Christopher Morrell's <laughs> hottest pace of last week where he was up to 252. He's kind of struggled in this Met series a little bit. He has eight home runs in the last two weeks and he is slashing 306, 346, 837, only walking 5.8% of the time. But honestly, that's 5.8% more of the time than he was a couple weeks ago when he was just not walking at all and all he was doing is swinging. He is striking out. 38.5% of the time. So we kind of need Christopher Morrell to, to swing and miss a little bit less, but keep hitting those bombs. Uh, Dansby Swanson, or excuse me, not Dansby Swanson. Uh, Nico Horner has a WRC plus of 116 during that time period. Uh, he is slashing 250, 333, 458. Welcome back, Nico. And he has a walk rate of 11.1% and a K rate of 11.1%. You love to see it. From Nico, anything you want to add about Nico or Christopher Morrell? Um, it's what I'd like to add about Nico is his phone number and my phone, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Nico, it's interesting to me that in it, in his time on the IL, it really hit home to me that how much of a difference he makes just in the look of the lineup that once he hit the IL and you had guys like Madrigal trying to lead off in his stead, you looked at the, even before the game started, you just looked at that one through nine in the lineup and went, there's a whole lot of outs there. There's that. This feels like it's going to be a really tough one to put an extended rally together uh, at bat. And then once Nico's back, it's like, OK, the threat immediately is is there right at the very beginning of the game. And it, it's interesting how just his presence alone makes it look like, OK, this looks more major league and it looks like an actual deep lineup on a, on a couple days every now and again. So, yeah, it's his health is kind of paramount for this team going forward. 
I definitely agree with you. Guys who are struggling, we won't do quite as deep of a dive on them. But uh, Trey Mancini is WRC plus of 80 over the last week and change. Miles Mastroboni, who did not get sent back to AAA, has WRC plus of 70 in his last two weeks. That is because Nick Madrigal got sent back to AAA. His WRC plus was 36 over the last two weeks. Uh, Jan Gomes is coming in at a WRC plus of 13 during that period. And Patrick Wisdom... Really struggling a lot lately as WRC Plus over the last two weeks is two. Let's get that guy back on a burner where he hits some bombs. Uh, the Reds, hot and cold bats. Uh, interesting name to top this list, Matt McLean, who just got called up for the Reds uh, in the past. Um, I think it was like the last two weeks. I, I think I added him in fantasy last fab period or the fab period before. And so um, really interesting hitter. For the Reds, and he started. He came up and started hot. He's got a WRC plus of 153 over the last two weeks. Spencer Steer is at 152. Jake Fraley is at 140. Old friend Kevin Newman, you remember him from his days with the Pirates and now with the Reds, has WRC plus of 134. And honest to God, they have a player named Henry Ramos who I did not know existed until I did this list, but he has WRC plus of 130 over the last two weeks. Don't ask me any questions about Henry Ramos. I, if you had told me that that was a character from Rookie of the Year, I would have believed you. <laughs> yeah. The Name I most recognize with the Reds is the one who has not played the entire season, and that's Joey Votto. So it feels like uh, I know Reds fans have talked a lot about McLean as their hitting prospects going forward. So it feels like I, I guess they might be kind of picturing him as, as a successor in Tovato in their lineup. But yeah, it, it feels like kind of a, a big transition from top to bottom with, with their group right now. A whole lot of guys where I go, okay, yeah. He apparently is a threat. I should learn about him. Yeah, definitely some let the kids play energy from Cincinnati. And um, they're, they're hit or miss, man. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. And we're, we're going to see some guys we have never seen before. As some dudes who are struggling on the Reds, there are some familiar names on this list. Nick Senzel has a WRC plus of 79 over the last two weeks. Jonathan India is at 68. Fair, Stuart Fairchild, I believe, is at 62. Tyler Stevenson is at 53. And Will Myers, who I really thought was going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Great American Ballpark and rake for the Reds. He's not that old. And you, can kind of, you figured he would have some playing time, be able to do it. WRC plus of four over the last wow. two weeks. He's in that Patrick Wisdom territory there. So um, not even sure how much we'll see Will Myers this series. Yeah, Will Myers, it feels like they've been trying to make Will Myers happen ever since the Rays acquired him in trade, and everyone thought, well, the Rays got him, so he must be brilliant and they must be geniuses. And he's had good years. He's made at least one or two all-star teams, uh, but never become really the player that's the, the game-changing player everybody thought he was going to be. And now, I mean, that's what happens to guys who can just kind of hang around for almost 10 years at this point, is that, yeah, sometimes the end of the line might come quicker than you thought when pitchers develop to the point where they all know your weaknesses and can exploit them. Totally agree uh, for the Rays. So it's sort of like the Reds are struggling a little bit more than the Cubs. The Cubs have some really hot hitters, but some guys who are struggling and now we're going to do the Rays. And like, I just apologize in advance. The Rays are hitting at a level that nobody else in the league is hitting at. And it just is what it is. And we're all just going to have to watch it happen. Just enjoy the show. People like the Cubs are going to be overmatched in these games. If anything happens, mm -hmm. that's good for the Cubs. We will be very excited about it because it will be unexpected. Indeed. Yandy Diaz has a WRC plus of 240 over the last two weeks. Jose Siri has a WRC plus of 209 over the last two weeks. Isak Paredes, former Cub Isak Paredes, WRC plus of 186 over the last two weeks. Randy Arozarena, 183. Josh Lowe, 153. And Luke Rayleigh, 137. I There's nowhere to go in this lineup for safety. Yeah, where did Yandy Diaz come from after the past couple of years? Like, 
up to this point, he's the two things we know about him are that he walks a lot and he's jacked. But other than that, it was like, okay, you know, occasionally useful guy. And now he's the best, he's, he's leadoff, right? He's the best leadoff hitter in baseball. He's the best leadoff hitter in baseball. And here's what happened with Yandy Diaz. And I'm honestly fascinated by it. So I'm so glad you asked this question. If you go to his baseball savant page, his average exit velocity is in the 100th percentile. His max exit velocity is in the 96th percentile. His hard hit percentage is in the 98th percentile. His ex-woba is in the 98th percentile. His ex-batting average is in the 98th percentile. His expected slugging is in the 89th percentile. His barrel rate is in the 81st percentile. His K rate is in the 88th percentile. I could go on. He does not chase bad pitches. He does not strike out. He does not whip. He just hits baseballs. Mm really, really freaking hard. And what he has done in his age 31 season, he's always had max EVs that were off the charts. Like if you look, that's a sea of red for every season that he has played. But what he has done this season, which is fundamentally different than what he's ever done before, is his launch angle is up just a titch. Hmm. Used to be like hanging out in the six, seven range. It's now up to 9.3. And that has taken his barrel rate from a 4.8, 7 rate in previous seasons up to 12.7%. And Yandy Diaz is murdering baseballs, wow. and it is fun to watch. I mean, that's a principle of hitting that's as old as Ted Williams. It's just that slight uppercut that he advocated, and it still works. Who knew? Yeah, and it works real well for Yandy right now, and he he's fun to watch, man. Like, I don't even know what to say. I believe, I've believed in Yandy Diaz. I've uh, as a fantasy player, had him on a bunch of teams, usually because he's a high on base percentage guy and I play in a lot of OBP leagues. And so I find him to be like a sneaky good addition in those leagues. But he is he is paying off in spades this year, man, because now he hits bombs too. Yeah, those uh, stats are as big a thirst trap as those arms, finally. <laughs> well, the other dude on this list, I mean, there's a lot of guys on this list who I'm impressed with. Like Jose Siri, what he's doing is great. Paredes, what he's doing is great. Uh, but Randy Arozarena... Ever since the World Baseball Classic, like I've always liked Randy Rosarena. I sort of had him pinned as one of those guys. Ah, the Cardinals did not hit on this guy because they underappreciated him and they probably didn't like his swag and they thought it wasn't part of the Cardinals way. And so they traded him for Matthew Liebertor and that didn't work out well for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I love it when that doesn't work out well for the St. Louis Cardinals. I love the Patrick Wisdoms hitting 30 home runs that the Cardinals let go for nothing. I love the Adelise Garcia's absolutely raking for the Rangers that the Cardinals let go for nothing. And I love Randy Rosarena for that. But what I really love Randy Rosarena for is the way he has fun playing baseball. Watching him play for Team Mexico was one of the greatest joys of my march. And frankly, like if Randy Rosarena wants to come in and make awesome catches and do his like statue stance in the <laughs> outfield and then like pass out Luchador home run mass in the Rays dugout, I am here for it. I am here for all of it. I wish the Cubs had anyone half as fun. I cannot emphasize this enough. I want to see Randy Orozarena signing autographs in the middle of a game again. That was so cool. Yeah. He was literally yeah. like grabbing balls from kids and signing mm -hmm. them and tossing them back up like while the pitchers were warming up from the bullpen. It was amazing. Yeah. That was that was the best. And yeah, when you're in the outfield, yeah, you should be able to do that. There, you, there are times where you can just kind of let your mind wander a bit and and do some fan service. So yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, it, it feels like he's kind of, like living everything that he had pictured for himself this year that be star turn in the world baseball classic uh and you know this incredible first couple months of the season kind of living up to the rookie of the year hype and then the 2020 postseason hype as well and you can tell just by as you say that the statue stance and the swag and the luchador masks it's almost like he prepared for being this great for a number of years and now like the world is finding out like exactly what he thought he was going to be. And it's, it's just 
fun to watch. Yeah, let me just add one more thing about the Rays offense before we close out this show. So the Chicago Cubs have the seventh best offense in baseball this season. As a team, they're slashing 260, 338, 426 with a WRC plus of 110. That's outstanding for any baseball team to be 10% above league average as an offense. The Tampa Bay Rays have the best offense in baseball as a team. They are slashing 269, 345, 497 as a team. Their WRC plus is 138. As a team. Yeah, that, that's an all-star. That's an all-star <laughs> season as, as a collective. Jeez. I don't even know what to do with that. The next best team is the Texas Rangers at 119. Mm-hmm. The Tampa Bay Rays are 19% better than the Texas Rangers at driving in runs. And the Rangers are very, very good at driving in runs. So, uh, look, it could be a wild one at Wrigley this holiday weekend. I am definitely going to try to get out and enjoy some sun. Sun's out, guns out with Randy and Rosarena, friends. Like, let's go hang out in the bleachers and be nice to Randy if you're out there. He's a good guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken, where where will you be watching this weekend series, the series against the Reds, the series against the Rays? And what are you working on? Tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your baseball takes. Yeah, I will be out uh, Tuesday night at the ballpark uh, for the game against the Rays with my dad. And otherwise, I'll be kind of watching in my couch up here in Edgewater and uh, just kind of enjoying the nice weather and taking long walks, probably in frustration after some of these games. And then online, you can find me on Twitter at Ken Schultz underscore Instagram at Ken Thin Guy. And I'm posting a couple stories a week at Outsports as per usual. And next week, we'll be dropping my annual Pride Night Guide. Ooh, yes. Your Pride Night Guide is one of my favorite things uh, to read each year. And I, I assume that the Dodgers will have quite the quite the feature in the Pride Night Guide this year. I have revised the Dodgers entry at least five times at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, legitimately looking forward to Cubs Pride as well, because those those... Rainbow pinstripe jerseys are straight fire. Yeah, we will be at that game together. And we've gone to the Pride uh, game for the Cubs together for a few years in a row. And frankly, like their their, uh, Pride gear has gotten better each year. The hat from last year was really good. The jersey this year is fire. I appreciate that the Cubs have not one but two uh, nights for to recognize inclusion at the ballpark, which is great. They have Pride Night in June, and then they have out at Wrigley later in the season in August or September, which is the oldest gay night at the ballpark, um, which is one of the, you know, we, we give the Cubs a lot of grief on this show, and rightfully so. Jed Hoyer totally deserves it. But the, the Cubs do some good things, and Pride is one of the things that the Cubs do pretty well. So definitely make sure you have your tickets for that if you have not already gotten them. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. There is no H on the Sarah. You can find my writing at Bleed Cubby Blue. We will be back after the holiday weekend, after both of these series with the Reds and the Rays. Best wishes and well wishes to Danny as he recovers from surgery. And enjoy your holiday weekend, everyone. Have a safe and fun Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the start of summer. Until next time.